Welcome to Guilty Treasures, a podcast about everything you ever loved and were afraid to talk about. I'm your host, Ann Kern. And I'm also your host, Emily Cardamus. And our guest this week is Tim Sniffen, the inimitable Tim Sniffen. So I, I admit I was the one who was responsible for asking Tim to be on the show. And, and I put it off for longer than is really reasonable because we <laughs> knew pretty much right away that we would really like to have him on. And for some reason, we did get it in our heads that we should be afraid of him, which I'm sure he <laughs> like was absolutely not his fault in any way it was totally no. totally a thing that exists in your own brain uh much like believing that there could be some kind of horrible ghost outside of your bedroom window <laughs> i feel like we should to some extent give credit to our friend ty who basically was like we were planning on asking tim on but i feel like ty bringing it up again sort of pushed us both to be like man why are we even putting this off <laughs> But regardless, Tim is a great guy and a really nice person, and it was all completely in our imagination <laughs> to be concerned. On the other hand, we were, admittedly, it, this was another one where the topic suggestion, we were kind of at first like, oh, okay, are you sure? Because I think we always want people to have a really positive experience as a listener to the show and also as a guest on the show, even more so to some extent. And um, when Tim told me that he was afraid that he was haunted, I was a little bit concerned about whether or not that was something that he thought was maybe enjoyable or enjoyable to talk about. <laughs> No, but I mean, it wound up being both in some surprising ways positive, but also a very enjoyable conversation. Though it does lead me to want to ask you, Anne, have you ever had any, <laughs> like, unexplained, potentially ghostly moments in your life? That's, um, not, a, that's not a good yeah. way to put it, but it's the way I chose. <laughs> when I was younger, I definitely had a, a spell where I was super, super into ghosts, like, as an idea, and I read a lot of fictional work and allegedly not fictional work and and i i definitely had some experiences when i was younger that i was like oh it was definitely a ghost in hindsight i'm almost 100 sure that it was not a ghost so i didn't really like when i was younger when i actually wanted an experience i did not have any i have since you know i mean everybody has those moments where they're like they hear a weird noise and you can't really quite figure out what it was and and you get a little spooked i have had one genuinely unexplained experience in my life which was relatively recent <laughs> i don't know can we tell this can i tell this story is this do we have to have like a spooky warning <laughs> i don't know I do? i'm not sure what story you're about to tell so i don't talk about it uh i was um i have a, a great aunt who lives in charleston south carolina which is of course a very very old city and i usually stayed with her when i went to visit but one time i stayed in a hotel nearby which is a, a historic building that had been converted recently into a hotel uh we had this like the rooms are kind of weird because it's you know it was an oh, i think it was a warehouse or something like that and they had converted it so we had a we wound up with a guest room that was like two stories. So it was kind of like a sleeping loft up under the eaves. And then, you know, where the door was, was on the first level. And in the middle of the night at like 3 a.m. Uh, in this hotel, which was brand new and not very well, there were not many people in it at the time. There were only a few other rooms that were occupied. I start hearing this screaming, like somewhere between a cat, you know, when cats will scream sometimes because they want to go out or whatever, or they want to come in, sort of like that. But then it sounded a lot like a 
small child, like throwing a tantrum. Mm -mm. I would be. Nope. Nope. And Mm -mm. and I came down the stairs. My mother was was with me um, sleeping down there and she had also woken up and was hearing it. And we were just standing there in the dark listening to this screaming from the hall. I mean, and it was loud. This was not a quiet. This sounded like a small child, like being dragged across the floor. Like the the level of intensity of this screaming was so high and it was so spooky and there were no other noises like we didn't hear and then it finally stopped but we didn't hear like you know a hotel room door open and close we didn't hear anything that would have indicated why this had stopped and i finally got it together i was like okay i have to look i have to see because what if there's actually some child or some person or what if somebody's in trouble and i went out in the hallway and there was nothing there was no indication that anyone else had been there there was no indication that anyone else in the hotel had woken up we talked to the guest uh to the to the people at the desk the next morning and they whoever had been there like no one had heard anything except us and it was really loud like there was definitely something there and i will never know what it was oh jeez. okay (laughs) 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 Uh, uh, i'm good i just have the like jitters a little bit um i have nothing to rival that uh which is surprising because i feel like i've been to a lot of quote-unquote historically haunted places my mom's really into like history and stuff and so like i've been to scotland a couple times i've been to edinburgh i've been to queensberry's close uh it's super cool uh it's like a basically a city underneath edinburgh for the most part and it is as spooky as it sounds i think the most i've ever been scared in any of those experiences was that like i think we took like a tour of the queen mary wherever it was docked i don't remember off the top of my head somewhere in california and i think we specifically went on the like sort of hokey like haunted tour tour. Yeah. yeah but i was like 10 at the time and i was very instantly i'm like any kind of jump scares any kind of like noise that i'm not expecting just sends me and like you know this we've had moments where people will hop into the call like when we're getting ready to record <laughs> and if i'm not expecting it i will literally yell <laughs> like, so i was like scared to almost tears walking through this old spooky boat but like there i don't i can't really think of any experiences of like ghosts or entities that i haven't been told so that's why i say like i say i'm kind of a skeptic but also i am like the most skittish human being in the world so like i will I, if this if it was a horror movie i'm the first one out the door like i'm yeah the one the one sign of trouble and i'm gone <laughs> i am the idiot going deeper into the building with an emf meter absolutely a hundred percent i am i I am, I am extremely skeptical. I don't know. I still don't know what happened when I was in Charleston. I, I assume that there was an earthly explanation, like mm-hmm. maybe uh, somebody who was who was staying in the hotel having a night terror, um, something like that. But yeah, I'll never know what it was. It was probably not a spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Now it does seem a little bit silly to put a spooky warning on the episode because we have gotten we have gotten quite spooky in the intro. So there, there, it may get a little bit spooky in the course of the conversation if this sort of thing bothers you. You might not want to listen in the dark by candlelight by yourself, maybe. Maybe yeah. avoid that. But other than that, you should be fine. Unless you like that. And then, that, you know, more power to you if you enjoy that. We will be your spooky companion. And now without further ado, let's go to the conversation. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much for for coming on, Tim. We were really excited to to have you. Um, so it, it's pretty informal, and all we're going to ask you to do right now is if you can introduce yourself and sort of say anything you'd like to about what you want, what you do, and then if you can introduce your topic for us. Oh, sure. I'm Tim Sniffen, 
And in the podcast world, I uh, the thing that I mostly do is uh, provide the opening and closing credits for Hello from the Magic Tavern. But because Arnie Niekamp is an imaginative and generous person, he's always said, you can do whatever you want during that section. I'm never going to give you notes on it. And he early on said, I don't want that to be wherever my part of the podcast takes place. So it began in a space bunker that's monitoring the connections between worlds. But I do that. And I think uh, the way I first met Arnie is I also do voiceover and some animation for Jackbox Games in Chicago. When I was in Chicago, I also took a lot of classes at Second City and ended up uh, performing and writing for them. So I also write a lot in my spare time, I've written sketches for the radio show Live From Here, which used to be a Prairie Home Companion, and used to have uh, comedy sketches on it, although uh, this year uh, they've decided they don't like comedy sketches, so they're lost. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I also... Uh, when I was in Chicago, started performing with some different groups like uh, Baby Wants Candy is one that improvises a musical and uh, the Improvised Shakespeare Company is another one that has traveled all over the place and has groups in New York, Chicago, and LA at different times. And so at this very moment, I'm in Denver doing uh, an extended run with the Improvised Shakespeare Company at the Garner Galleria Theater, uh, which has been a lot of fun. And especially like, uh, I like all the people that perform with Improvised Shakespeare. So uh, that's what I'm doing today uh through the end of march uh, so real comedy renaissance man so so what has what have you brought to talk about today well when you asked me uh to think about you know along the lines of the podcast like something that i might want to talk a lot about that i haven't in the past the things that are kind of like fun little hobbies i think are, are also things that are not that <laughs> uh, unique or interesting. You know, it's like, I like Star Trek. I like Star Wars. I like a bunch of things that I heard other people talk about more eloquently already on your podcast. So I was thinking, well, what have I devoted a lot of thought power to over the course of my life? And I thought preparing for or defending against ghosts is something that from an early age, and I mean, I, I want to, the things that come to mind to say sound sort of pretentious as far as like, I guess I'm super imaginative. I can't turn it off. <laughs> like things that if I were listening to this, I'd want to smack myself. So, you know, I don't want to say that. I just want to say once a thought gets into my head, it's really hard to get it out. And certainly if it's something supernatural where the laws of science might not apply, you know, the laws of reality as we know it, an entity that could ignore those things and might want to bother or harm me. Although, like, I've gone away from harm. That was something, I think, like, in younger years, I was like, something's coming to get me. Now I'm more like, something, something might be here that I don't know about and, you know, can't sense in a physical way. So it's more like that. But that just happened from a really, from a very, very early age, the idea that, like, something was around. And even as an adult, there are those times where once the thought is in my head, it is, it's just impossible to get rid of. Even though the next day it seems laughable or, you know, an hour before the sun sets, it seems laughable. I just still end up in these situations where once I'm like, nope, nope, this is the time. This is finally the time. Something is here. It's hard. <laughs> for me to, I can't back out of that. And so there's been some, I thought it might be interesting to talk about the various like things I've done or reactions I've had to like, yep, this is the time a supernatural entity is absolutely here. And what am I going to do about that? So that's my topic today. We can call it ghost defense, or we can call it like 
ghost accommodation. Because it's not, it's ridiculous to think you're going to do anything that's going to keep a ghost away from you. I know that. So it's more like the things I do to help myself accommodate the ghost that might be nearby. Yeah, I, I will say that when, when Anne relayed uh, your topic, I had this like moment of concern just because I was like, um, I feel like a lot of times we like, want to make sure that like our guest is having like a positive experience with, mm-hmm. with our podcast. And I was like, is this going to be like fun for you to talk about? Because I'm worried this like sounds like a like a negative impact on your life. The, th- the thing that's fun to, for me is I've never really talked about this. I think a few people know, you know, and they probably laugh it off like, oh, yeah, yeah. Last night you thought like something was in the house. But no, it's also I'm at the point where it's never that scary because I'm like, oh, it's happening again. So believe me, I would have spoken up if I were like, don't make me talk about this. <laughs> Don't make me talk about this thing that I volunteered to talk about. (laughs) Not again. Well, we didn't know. I mean, you could have been possessed by some evil spirit at the time that you told us that you wanted to talk about it. Maybe they just wanted some airtime. Who knows? (gasps) Oh, my God. That's true. I never thought about that. No, that's not the case. I've never had that happen. Although, thanks for putting that idea in my head. Now this is traumatic. So did you have like, uh, do you have a first sort of paranormal experience? Like when you were a kid, was there anything like a, I mean, not like a triggering event, but you know, because I think a lot of people have some story if you, if you ask them, like if it comes up, everybody's out at a bar drinking or something and and people talk about paranormal experiences. Everybody has maybe not a first experience, but a go-to that's like, this is the one that they tell people are like, I don't believe in ghosts, but I need to tell you this story. Is there something like that for you? The thing that there was, it wasn't a specific experience. It was a location-based thing, which was my house where I grew up, which was in Bayville, Long Island, happened to be at the foot of this enormous abandoned school that was, who knows, looking back, it may not have been as huge as I remember it, but as a child, it may as well have been like living in like a little gardener's cottage at the foot of the Overlook Hotel. Like it was huge and it just towered over our house. And especially in winter when there'd be no leaves on the trees, I could see it directly out of my bedroom. You could see like the silhouette of, you know, and I think it was like, it felt like this old Victorian whole building, very much like um, the Haunting of Hill House house, you know, where it's all like angles and turrets and going to bed, I could just see the silhouette of it through the trees. And it was more something from that place knows, like, can also see me in reverse and is coming to take me away. So I think that's where it really began. Like every night was just this. And it was weird. I think the way that kids can just compartmentalize different things that are happening. I could be having the best time until, you know, nine o'clock and then it was time to go to bed and then it was well this is my last night on earth like i just have to (laughs) make peace with that and the best part was i had this blind in my bedroom that and it's weird you know it's also the the kid thing of like everything is fixed like nothing can be changed about the blind as an adult you'd be like get a different blind but this blind only pulled down so there was still an inch of space where you could see through the window. And so it, it was perfect for me laying in bed. And again, you know, as a kid, you're like, I can't move my bed to a different place. That's not done. <laughs> so it would just be like looking at that inch of space where something outside could still see in and being like, I'm just going to, there's going to be some kind of pair of eyes and that will be it. Like once we've made eye contact, it will be allowed to come in the house and take me away. That's a weird thing with kids too, is that that idea of if you can see it, it can see you. And that like the, that even an 
extra inch of blinds would have made a difference that then it wouldn't have been there anymore. But I think that's definitely that's how kids minds work. That something about like that's the protection that you need is that extra inch of blind that it would have made a difference. Yeah, as as if if it can't see you, it's just going to be like that. Ah. Who knows if anyone's home? I'll give up and go back to my lonely existence in the abandoned school. So the other crazy thing was, and this took me a while to put together, was so there was woods behind my house along with this abandoned school. And there was a path that led to, uh, if you followed it all the way to the end through the woods, it led to the local library. And so people uh, on my street would use our backyard to get to the library. So sometimes if uh, snow had fallen, I would then also so, you know, my fear was like things were coming and going in our backyard. And then I would wake up and see the footprints in the snow, like going right past my window. And it was like, well, there's the proof. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you really were in like the perfect, like spooky woods. Like you were really sort of in the perfect epicenter of that mood. This is the first 15 minutes of a horror movie for sure. <laughs> right. And then get this around, I think I was in maybe 11th grade. It burned down. I mean, no one was hurt, but it was tremendously satisfying because it was just like, oh, <laughs> that that thing is finally gone. But then, of course, you have, like, the burned-out ruin of an abandoned school. But, you know, by 11th grade, it was different. It wasn't that, like, mortal fear of, like, this is it, something something is coming. I, I think, like, the school was also so familiar by that point that it, there was... Bedtime wasn't as scary by 11th grade, which is a, re- a relief for everybody. Now, was it always ghosts? Was that, like, a specific fear? Or was it just, like, something? Like, more of a vague idea of, like, a, like the other? Yeah, I think it was, like, yes, something thing other inhuman you know that would not stop that would be able to just come and drag me away and then the well the other crazy thing is with um the sound uh you know in, i think in forests there's always just like these dumb like i don't know branches settling sounds once it was dark and i was in my room i could absolutely hear something approaching so you know something that might have had physical form but it always did feel ghost-like that's what my brain turned it into was this something that you is a result of being scared of it did it make you want to try to avoid it or was it something that you got interested in and did research in you know because I mean a lot of kids who get sort of spooked by the idea of ghosts I think do a lot of reading um, you know either to find out ways to defend themselves or just because it like trips this weird like morbid curiosity in your brain of this terrifies me but I need to know more about it immediately were you one of those kids or did you just not want to have it in your life at all no I did uh, I mean I you know I turned to a lot of like horror literature I mean as a I remember, like, I got into, like, I, I started just burning through Stephen King books when I was, I don't know, in seventh grade, which might have been a little early for that. Yeah, maybe a little. <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember uh, when I was reading Pet Cemetery, you know, which is not the best choice for a, a seventh grader. A teacher, <laughs> a, a te- like, and I would, you know, it was, I would, ha- I almost as like a badge of honor. I had, like, the big hardcover book and I would carry it around with me. And I, one, one teacher was like, do your parents know that you're reading that? And I lied. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, they totally didn't. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember reading a little bit about, uh, and it's weird because I think this is something that like the sixth sense nailed home later on, but the idea that ghosts are spirits or humans that have departed this world that have unfinished business, like that kind of thing. And that, I read a little bit about that when I was in high school, but I, it was later in life where I started, like there were later times that I can talk about that, like, again, I'd be convinced something was around. I have said, if there's something you want from me, just let me know what it is. 
Because, you know, because it, it's weird. It ha- You know, there's no more sense of these days of like, it's coming to kill me. It's more like, what does it want? And so I always think, well, would it want to just be addressed? So I've done that. <laughs> I've, I've never gotten an answer. But I always wonder. I mean, I suppose that's something that I'll find out eventually. If there is something going on and people are going about their unfinished business and it's just that we have nothing to do with it. Right. Which, you know, is it would be nice in a way. It's sort of, it's egotistical to think like people have somehow fought their way all the way back from the spirit world and the first thing they're going to do is find us you know <laughs> right, maybe sure. there it, it could be like no i'm i have this other thing i want to visit this place i always used to like being you are irrelevant like you know there's no right. we don't need anything from you and uh, you know to that point i guess like i've i've never had anyone indicate anyone or anything indicate that they wanted me to do something yet <laughs> So that was kind of my junior high, high school experience, like, and it certainly was formative that this just big, oppressive type thing was, like, looming over where I grew up. And then it settled down a little bit. The other thing that, honestly, it's so stupid, but the thing that helped a lot is around, like, 10th grade, we got a dog. And in my, you know, teenager logic, I was like, "Ah, the dog will scare away whatever's coming. So then in college, I went to a college where they had these apartments on campus where up to eight people could all share one. And... I lived with people that I really liked and like we all got along and at some point about four of them, they knew that my imagination would jump to weird things without a lot of prodding. And so God, God love them. They (laughs) thought it would be fun to slowly start altering things in my room every day. And, uh, it, you know, it was, we locked the door uh, in and out of the apartment, but no one locked their actual door. And so, and we each had single rooms. So everyone's door was unlocked. I had probably an average amount of clutter in my room. And they thought first, like, let's see if he'll notice. And also let's just screw with him. So they, but I mean, it was crazy. And it went on. This is a liberal arts college. So you have a lot of like overthinking people that have too much time on their hands. So this went on for probably like, I want to say like five months. Wow, that's commitment. (laughs) Yes, I know. And here again, this like back to the thing of like, once I jump somewhere, it's hard to walk myself back. And I had this little bottle of aspirin uh, that was on my shelf. And this was sort of where it began and became like a lot of this prank was centered around this because it would that was the thing that the first day I came home and it was just on a different shelf. And I was like, why would I like instead of being with all the debris, like it was in front of the books. And I was like, why would I do that? Like, I take the books all the time. Why would I put it in front of them? And so I made note of it. And they also were later, they were like, my God, you're aware of your environment. Because we figured it would go on for like, you know, a week or two before it's like, wait a minute. It was literally like, I mean, it was like Princess and the Pea. Like, I opened the door and was like, what is that aspirin doing in front of the books? And so they did so many things. Like it got to the point where I would come back and so many things would have moved, including the aspirin. Like, oh, is the aspirin. And in my mind right away, it was, okay, okay, someone died in this room and they're not happy with what I'm doing. And this was, I think, the first time I would close my door and I would say, if there's something you want from me, just let me know what it is. You know, because it was like, even then it was like, I don't think you're going to kill me. Um, There's a... I think there's an ambulance nearby. I don't know if you can hear it. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. It's it was right. it was very dramatically timed, the ambulance. Right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know. Wouldn't it be great? I mean, the best possible way this podcast would end would be if I just disappeared or died and you never heard from me again. It's like, Tim's gone. No one can find him. <laughs> God, I almost want to fake my own death now. Just like, I mean, the hit rate. Oh, the the iTunes reviews. Yeah, it was a really good podcast up until the fact someone died on it. Man. <laughs> then it took off. Now <laughs> international. Take a sens- hard pivot. <laughs> 
Oh my God. No, we can't. We can't do that. So yeah, that was a case of really trying to negotiate. I just was like, mm-hmm. there's something in my room. Why else would it do this? Because it's not really a friendly thing. It's sort of a poltergeisty thing of mischief. And so I had a lot of conversations with it. And you know, I mean, I would have been 18 or 19. It got to the point where I would come home, close my door and be like, I went to my classes. Uh, like I did this one thing. This one person needed help with a paper. I helped them. I don't know if any of that is pleasing to you, but like that's what happened. And then, like, things would still be moved. So I was like, oh, my God. So, yeah, I mean, it got to the point where, uh, and I know there was maybe a weekend where I was still like, who knows? Maybe I'm moving these things and I don't remember it. And they had taken, I had one of those little, like, college-sized refrigerators. They had taken the aspirin and put it inside the refrigerator. And that's when I was like, this isn't me. This is something else. Not once did I think that other people were doing it. I went right to, there's some sort of semi-malevolent force in my room, and it's got to be up to me to find a way to make peace with it. And did you, you never asked like anyone else, like they were noticing anything going on? Like, because I'm assuming there were moments in the apartment when like other people were there and you weren't there. Yeah, there were those times, but there were, but yeah, I told, I I told people, and again, these are all dear friends. They played along with it like, oh my God, that's weird. And they, <laughs> they even did that thing, you know, that normal people would do of like, they were dismissive at first, which is, you know, if you're doing a prank, I think that's a good part of it is to at first be like, that doesn't sound right. You moved it and you just forgot about it even while they were doing it and then later they became more like wow yeah that is weird it does sound like you know that that you're not doing it they told me later they had many meetings about is this going too far like he (laughs) he is so obsessed with this now so they said at different points different people were like we have to stop we have to tell him but they said it was it never seemed to be like traumatizing me it was more just on my mind all the time and finally a few months into it and you know what happened actually it started during winter maybe just before Christmas and what they ended up doing is they were like you know what April Fool's Day is around the corner we can do it that long unless it really upsets him and that's what they did on April Fool's Day I came back to my room everything had been moved like the bed was upside down like oh it, I mean they just went for it and they they helped me fix everything but they did that and then I think they left a note or something that was like love your housemates and I was angry a, a little bit you know it, it didn't destroy friendships but I was like you guys like I have been talking to an unseen creature for weeks now, like trying to make peace with it. So just know that you caused that. And they were like, yeah, we really worried this was going too far. And like Oren wanted us to stop. And then Gretchen talked him out of it. And then Stephanie said it's (laughs) worth it and blah, blah, blah. In a a fictional universe, an actual ghost would have been there and like taken vengeance for you or you would have found out about your latent psychic powers or something like the end of this. Oh, absolutely. And I would have stood back and let it happen. Like if the ghost had gone after any of them, I would have been like, let's admit that you did this to yourselves. So how did this like then develop? Because you said it's sort of more like it was more of a fear, obviously, when you were younger, and then it just kind of became something you like dealt with. So like, how has it sort of progressed to now? Like, are, are you still sort of like when something does sort of happen and that gets in your head? Are you like kind of just in that like negotiation phase, or or are there like other like physical things that you actually do to sort of like accommodate? There was 
was a point, uh, for a little while I worked at a theater in Amsterdam, which was, um, really cool. It's also, you know, a very old city, so it's easy to imagine, like, horrors have happened at some point where you're living. I was living in and uh, th- so the other thing is, in many of these spaces, like in my room also, I would, did I do this at school? Maybe not at school. I'm trying to think. There are times where if I've been worried that something is nearby and there's any way to kind of create like a makeshift barricade around myself, I will do that. I did that at one point. I was just like subletting this really cool place, but it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. And it was like a loft over uh, uh, just like a big empty space. And again, at night, I would be like, I don't know if there's something here. You know, it is it is ridiculous after all these times. But yet, in the moment, it's always like, oh my gosh, is something here? In that case, there was this like long, narrow stairway leading up to the loft where I was. And I would pile furniture in the stairway as if the ghost... Like, finding all these things in its way, or just being so, like, frustrated, would leave me alone. So that's become a thing where it it really comes down to, am I going to sleep better knowing that all this stuff is in the stairway? Yes, I am. So I guess I'll go get a bunch of couch cushions, and, like, they had this really long extension cord, so I would... I And, I mean, keep in mind, at this point, I'm probably, like, 35. So not not healthy or logical, but um, (laughs) I would wind the extension cord through the rungs of the stairs like back and forth through the banister to make this almost like spider web so then it was like this is going to be so hard to untangle if something is trying to get through these things and you know again even though with ghost logic you would think they could go wherever they wanted in my mind I was like eh, they'll probably have to come in through downstairs and then get up the stairs if it's so frustrating and they know they'll make so much noise and wake me up they'll just give up so there's been a lot of like makeshift bunkers haha <laughs> bunkers or just barricades uh, that allow me to go to sleep. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting approach, like, because it sounds really illogical, but if you have done any reading about, like, really old methodologies for how you deal with supernatural entities that mean you harm, a lot of the solutions are really strange things, like, you know, you can throw salt and then whatever creature, and it's sometimes it's vampires, sometimes it's fairies, that they have to count every grain of the salt that you've thrown. You know, so this is something that I think really far back in our brains is a way that we rationalize this is a way that we can stop something thing from hurting us even if like when you say it out loud you're kind of like that doesn't make any sense at all like is that something (laughs) did you do any reading like have you because there are people who will say like uh you know i'll come in with sage and i'll purify you or something there are other people who might give you other solutions like is that something that you've done research on or that you've sought out at all or is it always just been whatever you came up with in the moment do you know what's funny it's yeah a lot of my stuff is prickle which is you know odd in that it's not a practical enemy but i get very into the like like, just like putting stuff in their path. But now that you mention that, um, <laughs> I forgot about this. The apartment that I was in in college and the very people that were moving things around, one of them was pretty knowledgeable in, uh, like Wiccan tradition and offered mm-hmm. to purify my room, which is hilarious in that she knew the room didn't need purifying. <laughs> right. Um, but she did, she did a spell in my room that she was like, you know what? If anything is, if anything means you harm in this room, this will encourage it to leave. And it's funny, those remedies, I think, haven't added as much comfort to me as the physical, I'm going to create these barriers that you're going to have to push through to get to me. 
Like those are the things that will, that allow me to go to sleep at night. I think even if I had, you know, like here's this talisman or here's this incense that I would burn, I think there'd be part of me that would be like, is this really going to keep some sort of an evil spirit away? Like what if they don't believe in, in that kind of thing? Although, I mean, I do love those things. I know like, um, I don't know if you've seen, uh, the movie, The Skeleton Key. I just love, there's a, an idea in that movie of things like that, that movie, I think it takes place in New Orleans and it's a lot of like voodoo stuff. And their thing is it, it can't work on you until you believe in it. And so much of the movie is getting this newcomer to the area to start believing. By the end of the movie, um, do you care if I, if I ruin it? We, you can spoil it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're doing something where they're someone that has been like jumping from body to body and is about to take over her body, uh, so that they can keep living. At that point, you know, she's like, but this is all just made up. I don't believe in it. And they're like, oh, I think you do. And you know that it's going to work because it's just such a scary idea because it's like, oh, my God, the moment, you know, the doubt takes foot in your mind of this might work like you're done for. So I find those ideas very interesting. Although I think doing something like like I love hearing about those things, even like brick dust across your the entrance to your home means that no one can enter. That means you harm. I like those things. I don't know if I would feel 100 percent safe if I was like, oh, there's brick dust. Like, I'm going to leave this door open all night. I my brain would be like, nope, we need a couch in the way. <laughs> it's very practical. <laughs> and then yeah. so then the, the thing that I wanted to bring up was this apartment in Amsterdam, which, you know, old stone beautiful building but also like really easy to just imagine so much more life has happened in that building before you showed up I live with these two Scottish guys really awesome except for the fact that they um, when I moved in they were like yeah you know just pay your part of the rent it's one flat rate Uh, everything is included that was a lie they had started just not paying any of our utilities thinking that like oh how long will it take for um, (laughs) them to figure out and to come and you know I was I don't know yeah I was probably late 30s they were both in their 20s and they were at that age where you think you can just not pay your utilities and no one will ever find out (laughs) so then and it was shortly before I was about to be done with the theater and come back to the US I came home and found like electrical not electrical tape but almost like that police line do not cross tape across our door but it was from the electric company who had said we have shut off all utilities to this building and so they both had girlfriends that they went and lived with the two Scottish guys and I did not so I was now in in this old European apartment at the very top kind of like attic level room with no power. And once again, when it would, I normally I'd go to do the show at night, but then I'd come home at like 1130 in the pitch black. And this was, even though this was an age where you would think like slowly, you know, you'd be less and less scared. By the time it came time to go to bed, I was like, there is absolutely something in this building. And so that was a case where I found a way to, it was a really difficult door to secure. It didn't have any locks or anything, but through a combination of somehow I found rope, a belt, an extension cord, I managed to have it so that like the door was tied to this really heavy bureau on the other side of the room. It looked like a Rube Goldberg invention because it just ended up, it was absolutely what I needed to be able to go to sleep in that like dark, silent house. The other thing was I had just seen the um, exorcism of Emily Rose, which the big thing about that was I had never heard about three o'clock is the devil's hour, which was like, if anything is going to happen, it often happens then, which the devil does to taunt the Holy Trinity. So I was probably in that apartment for only about a week 
before I was getting ready to leave the theater and I finally confided in someone else like I can't sleep in that apartment and they were like come crash at my place but for every night that week I would wake up at 3 a.m. and just have to sit for about an hour because I was like I can't undo you know the elaborate not work keeping the door closed and also I was like and that will be how it gets in like I just have to sit here for about a good hour until I pass out and that was it was weird that time I kind of reverted back to I don't want to talk to this thing because the moment I enter into conversation with it that will somehow be permission to like come in or it was yeah it was crazy and it was also like you know with all the shows and with like fun Amsterdam life like it was a very sleep deprived time of life and so I think that was probably part of it waking up and being like not entirely rational and also being like I just have to sit here in silence because it's going back to that thing of if it can hear me or it can interact with me that'll be all the permission it needs to do whatever it wants to do yeah I was gonna ask that because I know you've not only you've said you've lived in Amsterdam but I know you've lived abroad like and Europe is old as shit. So like, totally. I feel like there's a lot more uh, potential for it to feel haunted. Yeah. Like, do you, do you feel like the location like sort of affected that uh, mentality that you had? Absolutely. Because, um, yeah, right after Amsterdam, I lived on a cruise ship for a while. And there was <laughs> okay. Second City had these cruise ship shows and it was fun, but also weird. Some people called it floating jail because uh, it was, you know, it's just that thing of you can't leave. So it was, you know, the shows were fun. But anyway, often you'd have a, a roommate, but uh, the way that it worked is we would like sort of rotate through. You either had a roommate or sometimes you would have a room to yourself. And it was another case where the room, it was just like a tomb. You close the door. We didn't have portholes because those were for like the, the paying passengers. But you close the door and it's just this absolute blackness. And yet you're sort of rocking back and forth. It's a really weird sensation. But that is a time where I was able to talk myself out of thinking anything was there because the very first night I had a single room and closed the door and turned off all the lights and you realize it is just this it's just like a sensory deprivation chamber you can't see a thing and I thought I think I just heard something here in the room with me and then I thought Tim it is a cruise ship like <laughs> do you think someone's been murdered in this exact room and I was I was kind of like that's ridiculous and was able to fall asleep just the the odds were so that is a case where yeah ab- location absolutely informed I was like there it, it is too stupid to be scared like you've been scared in other locations but that like that is laughable for you to be scared here but then so when I met my now husband John who's uh nearby on the couch. He was about to be hired by an airport in Scotland. And so shortly after meeting, like three months in, we moved to Edinburgh, which, I mean, if you want to find a place that like celebrates its ghosts, (laughs) (laughs) they love them. And we lived like amazingly, we found an apartment online before we even moved there that was so close to the biggest like haunted tourist attraction, Mary King's Close. Do you know it? Yeah, yeah. Yep, where people got the plague and then they just walled them in and let them die in their houses. Like, it's awful. And there are five tours through that place daily. But uh, that was one block over from where we lived. So the first time, and, you know, we lived in a, in, it was a beautiful place, but it did feel like it felt, it felt very old. And the first time John had to go away for work, it was the same thing of, and it's so weird. Like it hadn't even occurred to me until that night. Suddenly it was getting dark and I was like, oh yeah. Like if something is, has, if something has, <laughs> it has ever wanted to kill me, this is what it's been waiting for. Like all this time, Edinburgh, like you can't do better if you're an evil spirit than Edinburgh. And so we had like a heavy, I think it was just like a night table, but it had enough books in it and a lamp on top of it that I just put that in front of the door. Cause I was like, something 
something is absolutely coming and this will at least it's again it's sort of a symbolic thing of like the door is barred and that felt like enough but I know a new thing was, you know, because I was like, well, you know, now at least it's blocked. But I thought, even if in the middle of the night, if you if something just knocks on the door, what the hell are you going to do? <laughs> like, what is the response to that? I would really think, like, I'll probably just go insane. And luckily, we had a window that would, I mean, a, a window that you wouldn't survive without, like, injury. It was two stories above. You know, they have those weird little winding stairways that often are going down somewhere. We had one of those outside of our bedroom window. And so I was like, I don't know. I guess I could literally jump through this Mike Birbiglia style and just like <laughs> fall and I'll probably break both my legs, but like I'll get away from the ghost. And that was my plan. <laughs> but the new thing now, it's time. The times where I get in that headspace again are even if it's not something like kicking in the door or making animal noises or whatever, even if it's just knocks, isn't that worse? Because what do you say to it? I truly don't know. And I hope I never have to find out. (laughs) See, now now I'm thinking like, if you're just like, no, it's cool. Like, no, thanks. And they just like go away. And it's like, oh, wait, that solved it. We're good. Yeah. Because what else are you going to do? It's like, they know you're there. No, thank you. (laughs) No, not today. Good try, though. Yeah. I mean, I hope. Like they're the Mormons. (laughs) 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 And aren't they in a sense? That's the new thing, I think, you know, and maybe it's a more adult fear is not like something trying to power its way in by force, but just the politest knock now seems more terrifying than anything else. So I still think about that. And the thing is, like, once you're in a place of waiting for it, it's just hard to break out of that because you're like, it could come at any moment. It could come right, you know, it could be about to come this second. It's that thing of once you're, you've been put in a place of waiting for it, kind of like once you've surrendered to belief, it's just now, now it's working on you and you just kind of have to ride it out. So I have to ask maybe maybe a challenging question, which is, has anything ever actually happened? Like, has something happened that you genuinely couldn't explain that has kind of fueled this? Or has it always just been the expectation that it might? I'm trying to think. I mean, this is a thing where I'm looking back I'm positive it was an animal. But back during my most frightened days when I was a kid, there was a point where my parents had gone out. I probably was old enough that that was okay for them to do, but I I wasn't very old. And I, you know, it was a thing where like my brother and sister both lived like within a mile of our house. So my parents were probably like, eh, they can come. They're older than me. So they could come over if something was wrong. But I was home alone and we had, it was sort of a basement downstairs, but it was, uh, there was no door like. It just was at the bottom of the stairs. And I was sitting there and from downstairs came this. It's still such a weird sound. I remember it didn't feel like an animal, but I, I have to tell myself it was. But it was just this like, and I froze. I just froze. And it it sounded like, you know, if we weren't trying to put any real world thing on it, it did sound like some sort of a troubled spirit. I must have been frozen for probably a few minutes as it did it. And then I just was like, I, I shouted something like, you have to leave. And it, I think as an animal, it probably was frightened away. But what it sounded like was something trailed away and then was gone. I probably continued being frozen for a good 15 minutes. And then I ran out of another, a, a you know, a door of the house that was not near to where the sound was and went to my sister's house. 
And then she and her husband came back and, like, checked the perimeter of the house. It's the one thing, though, that, like, you know what? It probably was an animal. Maybe it was hurt or something was wrong. It was being chased. The sound at the time, to me, was just something's finally in this house. And it was so guttural and strange to me that, you know, we grew up around, like, raccoons fighting. I knew what that sounded like. It sounded like something was wrong. And then when I shouted at it, it, it made its way away from the house. And, of course, when we came back, we couldn't find anything. But I do still think about that. As like, for as frightened as I was for something trying to get in, I was like, what the hell was that? That's the thing I can think of that to me was inexplicable at the time. I feel like now is a little more explicable, although I, you know, will never know. Does that count? Yes, I think that counts. (laughs) No, but for all the other things, it really is so much about the expectation that something is going to happen. I'm trying to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Um, oh, this was a case where I went looking for trouble, (laughs) but I went to school in Western Mass and there was this, it sounds so cliche and ridiculous, but there was this abandoned asylum out on the like outskirts of Northampton and a bunch of us on Halloween were like, let's go break into that place. So stupid. And like, you know, this is different because I did go looking for it, but we made our, we found a window that we could, you know, like force open and we got inside and it was, it was horrible. Like it was an old style asylum. We found things of like, you know, chairs with straps on them and all sorts of, you know, just things that are like, oh my God, to think that anyone actually had to come in here as a patient. But then we came into what might have been, I don't know, like a cafeteria or even just like an atrium at the entrance, this big open space. And in the middle of it, and you know, we're only looking around with flashlights, but we could see something in the very center of the room, maybe like it looked like almost like roadkill. But as we came closer, it was either a squirrel or some kind of animal like that had been like dissected and Mm. I know it was it's horrifying look at this it's it's traumatic after all um (laughs) and I've been like pinned down on a board with symbols underneath it horrible horrible and at that moment we heard movement you know and it was I would have been gone and that's the thing (laughs) and that and so you know it was all like long hallways stretching away so imagine that thing of in the distance something starts moving And we were like, maybe we came across people that were doing something. It is Halloween. We followed our path back out so quickly. It's like a dust cloud. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Totally, totally. And that was a case where I was last and I I physically could not look back because I thought if something is near to us, but again, I'm just going to go insane. And I'm sure it was people that, you know, I I wouldn't even offer that as a candidate of like, oh, that might have been supernatural. But it was weird that it was the timing was just so unnerving that like the moment we clearly saw what it was it was like something stirred and we were just like nope we're done we are out of here and oh my god we talked about that for you know as long as we were in school we were always like what was coming that night what was coming for us (laughs) i remember we got out uh, like off of the grounds of the place and just finally you know kind of back in the real world we just stood and watched and we were like what's going to come out of that window and nothing ever did yeah I i feel like i'm like the most probably the most skeptical person but i if that had happened to me, I would have been like, no, bye. I'm out. Like, that's that's it. The, this place is haunted. This I'm, I'm gone. Like, yeah, that, I would have been out the door. And part of it is like, yeah, once you're in that moment and it's all around you and it kind of has you, it's such a visceral thing. You know, yes, like in, in daylight, it all feels ridiculous. But yeah, it's that it's that thing of when the atmosphere is just right and your brain is kind of just slippery enough. Like, it's so hard to logic it away. Yeah, I mean, the kind of like the evolutionary explanation for that is is sort of roughly that... um 
our ancestors needed to believe that there was a tiger there when we couldn't see it. Uh, because otherwise, if you went into the woods and you were like, well, I don't see a tiger right now, so I'm probably fine, you would have gotten eaten. So you had to have this belief that persisted, even in the absence of evidence, that because there had been a tiger there, or there could be a tiger there at some point in the future, that it could be there and you had to be careful. And that that sort of triggered all of these loops in our brain where we believe in these things and are afraid of these things that we can't see, arguably. Although I think anybody who's had any kind of borderline paranormal experience that no matter how skeptical they are, they still don't have an explanation for, it's still really, really hard to look at that circuit in your brain when it gets tripped and say, no, this doesn't make sense. This is fine because, you know, your body doesn't work that way. Your brain doesn't work that way. You still react to it. So is this something that like people in your life, when you have told them about it, have they been supportive? Have they tried to be dismissive? Like have they laughed at you? What's happened? I have mostly supportive people in my life that are always like, especially when I, I've told people, well, I talk to them and I say, if you want anything from me, let me know what it is. I've had people say, you know, and, and I'm sure someday like you may, or you'd be a good person for spirits to ask, like if they need something done, because you're already meeting them halfway. So mostly I've had that. I haven't had a lot of open derision. I know my, you know, my parents were aware of like how frightened I was as a kid. And the funny thing is my dad, who was kind of like a gruff, typical, like sort of 1950s pipe smoking dad was far more understanding. My mom, who comes from more like, well, it's funny. I mean, because we, my mom's family comes from Scotland who love their supernatural things, but she just had no patience for it. I think, you know, it might have also been like, I don't want my kid to be a wuss. Because I would, early on when I was really young, I would go into the room and be, and I would just say, something's coming for me. I have to sleep with you tonight. You know, like, like a little kid might. And it went on for a while, but finally my mom was like, come on, like, we can't keep doing this. And so she said, like, if you really can't sleep in your room, you can sleep on the floor in here, which was awful. And that was, I think, her way of being like, I'm going to make it inconvenient for you to keep doing this. But my dad, my dad never stopped believing me, which was interesting. He always was like, you know what, if something is there, uh, like, I think the thing, finally, the, the compromise he struck with me was like, I'm nearby. If something comes into your room, I'll come in there. But he would kind of meet me halfway with it. My mom would just be like, there's nothing there. Nothing is coming. Go back to your bed. <laughs> like she was hardcore. My dad was very like, he would never outright say like, nothing is there. Don't be frightened. He would meet me in the strategic place of even if it does get in, I'll come in. But also as far as now that I think of it, like being sort of a, a slightly selfish child, when they would let me sleep in their bed, the thing that brought me comfort was, well, now whatever is coming will kill my parents first. <laughs> And I'll have time to escape. Like, I can make my getaway while it's murdering my parents. That was the comforting thought. Totally brought me peace of mind. It's like, oh, I got cannon fodder now. Like, I I can escape. Well, I, I was going to ask, like, because a lot of the situations you were describing, you were alone. Like, does something change when there are other people with you? Oh, totally. Yeah, with, I have to say, I rarely... I, I can't think of a time where um, I had this kind of like that mental phenomenon of like something is coming with someone else around. And like now being married with John in the house, even though it's funny, we both talk about like if something horrible came, like what defense would the two of us be against it? You know, it is different when you have someone else there. And the thing is, we're in Denver right now. We, we have a house uh, in upstate New York. And again, I did this to myself. It's another place where there's no street light. It's a beautiful area. Like there's some like rustic, there's like a river near by but um it's also a place where once the sun is gone and if the stars aren't out absolute pitch black and so the times where he's not been in the house and it's crazy it's a house with a lot of windows so i usually won't go downstairs at all just because it's again a thing
thing of like, if something is out there, I am just on display for it. So I usually will kind of like barricade myself again in the room. But we do have, this isn't supernatural at all. I feel like Anne is like, oh man, these are all just stories <laughs> of you being scared. Like there's no proof here. Um, <laughs> this podcast is canceled. Uh, no, I mean, he didn't die on mic, which is what we were hoping. And now there's no proof. Can't erase, erase all this. Audacity delete. It is crazy. We have this river that goes right past our house. It's beautiful. But when, for a while, I was taking a walk at night before bed, just because, you know, it's especially when the stars are out, it's beautiful. There is one section of river that I swear to God sounds like two people like laughing and planning to kill you. Like it's just the sound is like, <laughs> and when you, I, I can't go near it anymore because it's like, uh, well, it's not a river anymore. There are two people hiding behind all those reeds that are absolutely having a conversation about murdering me. So just these <laughs> things that just seem to crop up, like it's crazy. Tim, I think you have to stop, like, buying vaguely haunted houses. I think that's the real problem. I know. As I, as I say it, it's so obvious, like, from the outside, like, what are you doing, you dumbass? It does feel like you're very carefully constructing the ideal uh, horror film that is about your life. Just like with your real estate choices. Now I have a friend. Um, uh, her name is Allie Davis, and she is. Um, I always joke because she has a really good following on Twitter, and I'm always like, "Please don't turn your Twitter army on me." But she <laughs> also loves supernatural stuff. And whereas I feel like I probably have a very pedestrian knowledge of it. I mean, I'm referencing like popular horror movies and stuff that are not very deep dives. Allie knows it backwards and forwards, and she knows a lot of more of like the Wiccan stuff. And so she is the worst. I, we you know we talk a lot and she'll be she'll also be like what are you doing like why did you move into that house and as we first uh moved into this house we had a joke about um what murder weapon did tim find in the shed today because like you know we were clearing out i mean mostly the house was empty but there's this shed full of mostly firewood behind it that really wasn't that cleaned out and honestly every time i would dig a little bit more just trying to clean it up i would find like the perfect horror movie murder weapon including like the rustiest old machete an axe which is not that surprising a giant hook which maybe was like for fish at some point I would find these things either like you know hanging from the ceiling or whatever it felt so like cabin of the woods when they go downstairs and it's just like a million different like horrible things it was like who assembled this like these items but you're right in that way like I keep finding these places where it was always like well at least I guess it's a comfort to know the thing that like I will be murdered with later tonight the other thing about it and this this is just pure superstition but the house was for whatever reason and we think it might have been in part of a horse farm because this weird shed full of murder items has a big horse painted on it and it has like a half door that I think maybe if you if a horse were to be inside inside the house was riddled with horseshoes probably I don't know a dozen over every door but they were like dirty and grimy and after a while I was like I don't really want to take all them down but I mean talk about something that's going to trigger superstition like the moment of reaching up and taking that horseshoe and being like my god if these are protecting this house I have no one but myself to blame when I get like ripped to shreds tonight with barbed wire from the shed. But I finally did because I was like, you know, there's that point where you're like, I don't want to be just held captive to all these beliefs. So I'm going to, I'm going to face this. But it was another moment of like, why are there so many horseshoes over every door? I mean, I, if it had been a line of brick dust, I probably would have been like, yeah, I'll just leave that where it is. I, I don't know. 
if I have the other problem is that like so typically like at the end we sort of ask like people to give like an elevator pitch of their topic and this doesn't really work here so I'm I feel like I'm a little bit at a loss yeah oh, I have another question I think that maybe we could use in in lieu of that kind of typical yeah wrap go up. for it so I mean this is something that's been part of your life for a long time and it may not be something that you could get rid of if you wanted to that you could just decide one day like well that stuff's not real like I don't I don't think you can turn that off and your in your mind but how has it influenced your life maybe in positive ways like do you think that it has at all yes i do because i think i used to quickly go to a malevolent place for these spirits the other thing and i don't want to get too critical of religion because it serves so many different purposes for people but i can't help but notice that the times where it was the most like an evil force was where i was also very religious in like a traditional christian sense so it did almost feel like evil spirits you know maybe coming from some sort of ultimate evil as i've tried to be more open-minded about i don't know what's out there and i don't really want to enforce these rules on it or have it enforce these rules on me I've come to a place where I still think there's probably things we don't know about and even though I will get a little jittery at night when it's like dark and I realize like there's no way to barricade this entire house and if something wants to get in it can and once I get to that place it's hard to get out of it it does seem to slowly become more weak the belief that I'm really in danger and more just an understanding of there probably are things going on that I'm barely aware of and that maybe have nothing to do with me. And I like that view of the world. I've always liked the fact that there's probably more than we can see. And the fact that maybe there's much, much more than we can see that's going on right now, I often take a lot of comfort in. And that comes with addressing these things, which these days usually is more of a, if you want something from me, just let me know. And I think someday, who knows, you know, maybe they will. I think I would be uh, as other people have said, like, I'd be a good candidate. I'm happy to help if you want something done, provided <laughs> it's not like me, you know, murdering someone who wronged you. Sure. <laughs> but I've come to think the hardest thing for humans are so social. And I think one of the hardest things is isolation. And so the idea that all of us are just surrounded by much, much more is a worldview that I like. And I think that came from the initial idea that these things were out there. And of course, in a very like egocentric way, oh my God, they only exist to come and bother me or to frighten me, which now is more like, that's probably not the case at all, just as I don't exist to specifically bother someone else other than my husband. <laughs> but, you know, it's found its place in my mind and the way I see the world, and I, I think I like it. I wouldn't take it back if I could. And the other thing I could say is, you know, if there are people out there as frightened at, at such a later age as I am, like, you're not alone. And, you know, I think there's a way to, you can kind of lean into it and be like, whatever things are going on, I, I probably couldn't stop them if I wanted to. So to just kind of exist alongside them, like, if anyone out there hears something like that, hopefully that's an encouraging message. That's There's something very comforting, I think, about the idea that, like, it really, like, if, if that stuff exists, you're not really a part of it like yeah there's something very comforting and not mattering <laughs> like basically oh totally yeah i agree it's like you're really you're telling me out of all the wide world what they want to do is come and like rattle the door in your room for a little while sure. they have so many other things going on right you don't want to be the ghost who gets assigned to haunt a cruise ship that would that would be the worst <laughs> and you typically have some kind of hypothetical yeah. question i don't yeah, know if I do. you have something in this I feel, okay this is a hypothetical this is a hypothetical conversation so it's a little more 
challenging well, maybe, but um, yeah, because you know, it's all about the possibility of things that might happen. And I think I would have asked you, do you know what you would say if you were definitely sure there was a paranormal uh, entity in your in your space? But I think you've already said that you didn't. So instead, I've been listening to this thinking, wow, this would make a great horror movie. And you are an actor and a writer. So if you were making a horror movie based on uh, your experiences, do you know what it would be about? Or maybe you could just name it if that's easier. The thing that seems like it would be interesting to try to turn into a movie would be the idea of people moving into an absolutely neutral house, nothing weird going on, and maybe someone in the house being so obsessed with the supernatural that they teach the house to be haunted. And then maybe, you know, at some point they would have like some sort of paranormal expert, someone who knows better, shows up. I would love the reveal of, you don't understand, this house wasn't haunted when you arrived. It learned to be haunted from you. So that, yeah, that's something that I haven't quite seen yet. And it's something that I still play around with in my mind, like someone being so ready to believe and so like enmeshed in their what's going on in their mind and like treating it like it might be happening that the the house is finally like, fine, is that what you want? Like, then that's what we'll do. And that rises out of the idea of, you know, there's certainly times where I've said to myself, like, this is probably all in your mind. Like, you are bringing this baggage into the house. The house has no truck with this kind of thing. Like, there's nothing going on here other than what you're bringing. So I think that might be interesting. And then to the point where, like, they can't take it back. It's like, no, it's haunted now. You told it. Like, that's what you wanted out of the world. So congratulations. So if you see, I mean, (laughs) if I get my act together and turn that into a screenplay, you will know it came from this moment right here. This is the same as copyright, right? (laughs) Like, once it's out there in the podcast universe, everybody knows it's your idea. That's right. Formally declaring. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time and coming on and sharing this with us. This was a delightful conversation. Oh, good. I'm I'm so glad. And um, I was, as I was just thinking of like what might be different than what you've had in the past, uh, I thought this might be fun. And honestly, this is the first time I've talked this much about my various non-hauntings and my reactions to them. (laughs) Thank you for being interested in this or feigning interest expertly. No, we're not that we're not that good at acting. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have one mode and it's earnest. Um, uh, Tim, where can people find you online? Um, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, this is your space, so please feel free to use it. Oh, sure. Well, um, yes, listen to Hello from the Magic Tavern if, if you want to hear small snippets of me in between large snippets of other people. As far as my, like, I, you know, I write and I publish things here and there, and I try to condense it all on my own site, which is just timsniffin.com. But then a good thing to plug is a friend of mine, a Chicago beloved performer, Abby McEnany, has a show that just had its first season on Showtime called Work in Progress, where I was a contributing writer, and I will be a writer for season two, which is in production right now and will probably come out sometime this fall. But um, it's really cool. She is a queer performer who also struggles with like mental illness and OCD, and she wanted to do a show where she did not shy away from those things and put someone on television, I mean, put herself on television as a person that you might not see on many other shows. And then um, Lily Wachowski, uh, one of the creators of The Matrix, who's a Chicago producer and writer, took interest in it. And so um, she is the executive producer of it, also trying to get something on TV that might not be available on a lot of other shows. So uh, I'm about to go back to uh, writing for that in a few months and look for that this fall. And also season one is available on Showtime right 
right now. I know that like literally every single viewing matters to Showtime. They're watching those things. So, you know, if you want to see something on TV that might be a little different, more on the fringe than other things, like that is a, I think a great thing to support. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad we had this recording in the daytime. In the morning was probably a good yes. choice, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was going to say, I wish everyone the best and most peaceful sleep tonight, no matter where you are. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Guilty Treasures. You can follow us on Twitter at TreasuresCast. If you have questions or comments, hit us up there or at our email, guiltytreasurescast at gmail.com. Or ask your nearest ghost to deliver us a message via unexplained noises in my empty apartment while I was editing this episode, which wasn't appreciated. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. And if you like the show, tell a friend or play the episode loudly in your empty apartment to entertain any spirits present because haunting you is probably be boring and they don't want to watch next generation again until next time let the dragon in your heart be happy